what came out of a really interesting conversation, collaboration with their vendors was a concept that we're going to do a retargeting campaign. There's going to be two targets. One are going to be the people that actually come to our website that live in the state of Georgia. The second are going to be lookalike audience. We're going to target lookalike audience. So these people did not come to our website at all. So they have no vested interest in coming back to our website. But we know that they're very much into the same things. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. How many shoppers do you know will buy the first time they visit a store? Very few, right? It takes some time before we trust a brand. The same goes for e-commerce. The percentage may be even higher for e-commerce due to low barriers to exit from a site and go to the next one. In fact, more than 95% of the people that visit a website for the first time are not ready to buy. They need more than one interaction before they can make their mind. That's where retargeting comes in. But is retargeting effective in every single scenario? What are the best practices of effective retargeting? How many attempts should you be making to bring them back in the funnel? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss visitor retargeting strategies for e-commerce. We covered many grounds in this episode, including the concepts such as retargeting versus remarketing and where retargeting could add real value to the marketing campaigns. Finally, we covered retargeting strategies, methods, specific tools, for retargeting their pros and cons, and most importantly, the stories where retargeting was effective. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. For today, we are going to be talking about retargeting. And that is going to be really exciting because you can target all the visitors that visit your site. Sometimes that could be a good idea. Sometimes it may not be. So we are going to be talking about all of that. But before that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with Ben. Would you like to introduce yourself first? Sure. Love to. Thanks, Sam. Uh, my name is Ben Searcy. I am one of the founders of Govi. And we use uh, a SaaS technology to allow enterprise companies and brands to engage with their customers on a more personal level, uh, using their customers to increase the mind share, wallet share, and all of the other good stuff that most brands want to do in a way that's win-win for everybody, including the customers. Okay. Thank you so much for being here, Ben. Dave, can I move to you next for your intro, if you don't mind? Of course. Hey, everybody. Dave Meyer with BusyWeb here. We are a growth marketing agency located in Minneapolis. We help B2B agencies and especially manufacturers to drive new business and then convert that business into assets. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. Steve, can I move to you next for your intro? 
Yes, and thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here with a group of fine individuals. My name is Steve Rice. I am the president of Dotcom Jungle, and we help companies make and implement wise technology decisions. And uh, so we often are asked to sit on technology committees and then implement, find other people who have the right tools for companies. I'm also the recent co-founder of the Globally Conscious Leader, where we're trying to connect leaders in sustainable thinking with uh, aspiring leaders and leaders who want to learn more about that implemented in their companies. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Steve. Chris, can I ask you to introduce yourself? Yes, of course. Great to be here with everyone. Hi, my name is Chris Harrington, uh, president of Gen Alpha Technologies. Uh, we are a SaaS provider of um, e-commerce for manufacturers and distributors who want to sell their products online. So really, we're in the business of increasing equipment uptime, improving the parts ordering process, and ultimately growing sales online. So great to be here with everyone today. Thanks, Sam. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Eric, can I ask you to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks. I'm Eric Landman. I'm the e-commerce division manager of Earthling Interactive, which is a Madison, Wisconsin-based agency that builds web apps, e-commerce sites, and uh, content management sites for quite a variety of customers. Uh, I'm a professional developer. I've got about 50 plus e-commerce sites under my belt and under the wheels, as it were. So I, I bring the developer perspective to these discussions. And this is an interesting one. Okay, amazing. And that perspective is going to be so important for today's conversation. Thank you so much for being here, Eric. So I am actually going to start with today's topic, and Ben, obviously, I'm going to start with you. So we are going to set the stage a bit. I know there's a little bit of debate about what is retargeting, what is remarketing. You know, some people sort of know, some people don't know. So let's set the stage, you know, what that is and how retargeting really works. Some people might not even be familiar with what retargeting really is. So if you could define and how that is going to fit with the marketing strategy, which are the businesses that are going to be fit for the retargeting strategy versus the businesses that are not going to be the fit. Do you want to set that stage? Sure, absolutely. That was like nine different things, so I'll see if I can remember yep. all of them at once. <laughs> and uh, I will help you remember those. <laughs> I appreciate it, Sam. Uh, okay, uh, first of all, from my perspective, retargeting versus remarketing isn't that different. Uh, the differentiator I make is retargeting is they haven't bought from you yet, remarketing is they're already a customer. And then you, uh, from my perspective, you more or less can do the same things, the same technologies, the same strategies around that. Uh, obviously, when you're remarketing to a current customer, you have a little bit more data than you do when they're not a customer yet. So that might impact the strategy or the tool that you use to do it. But ultimately, what we're saying is basically get in front of people who have or will buy from you uh, as many times as it takes to get them to buy from you. You know, there's a number of different ways of going about it. Um, but, you know, for those who aren't really familiar with the, what the specifics are, you know, you go to a website and you look at new pots or something like that. For example, the other day I was looking at uh, Caraway's new um, pots and pans and they've got kind of like a whole cookware set because uh, I like to cook uh, pretty regularly and I don't like to use Teflon, that kind of thing. Everywhere I go on the internet at this point, there's caraway pans. Or if they want to get really crazy, there's caraway baking dishes. And then there's other people who are kind of tapping into that. That's an intent marketing thing as well. So I do get other brands. We can talk about that in a minute. But broadly speaking, what we're talking about is getting in front of somebody who's been to your website or has taken an activity on your website and showing your brand in front of them, whether it's more ads, whether it's reminders. I've even been successfully retargeted without an ad at all, it was a reminder to join a webinar that I hadn't signed up for. But it reminded me that, oh, there's an interesting topic. I'd like to learn more about it. So I did join the webinar and I ended up buying from that company. 
So it doesn't just have to be where are you know, seeing ads all over the place on the internet, but everyone's been tracked by something. They see an ad somewhere and suddenly they're on a news website and there's the same ad on the right-hand column. Yeah, so I mean, that in, in a nutshell, that's what retargeting is. And it doesn't have to necessarily just be ads. You can be getting those emails. You can see videos popping up. Uh, there's a number of different ways. You know, Sam can show up outside your house with a bullhorn shouting like, hey, what about those pans you were talking about? I think you'd, you'd do it for the right price, wouldn't you, Sam? Yep, I, I'll do it. Awesome. So what else did you ask? So, yeah, I think you covered pretty much everything. Overarching picture, I think that's pretty good. And I completely agree with your definition about the retargeting and remarketing. And sometimes people don't really know sort of what all you can do with retargeting. And I really like your use case about reminding people for the webinar. In fact, when you are going to be making the cold calls, I have seen people recognizing the brand. And, you know, I was interviewing one of the guys and he said that, you know what, our target market was 70. And what we really wanted to do is we wanted to make sure they recognize the brand before we cold call them. So sometimes the targeting could be only for reminding people and just to provide that recognition of the brand. Because if you have a product offering that nobody really knows about and first time you are going, you are saying, hey, you know what? I am, I don't know, dot com jungle. Uh, and if nobody recognizes that, then that could be a problem. So this is one way of reminding those people. So I don't know if you have any other comments to add there. Yeah, just real quickly, there's, um, I just, you mentioned uh, what are the industries that work for, and I, I agree yeah. with your point. Uh, sometimes, I mean, it's you would look at it as brand awareness or regular marketing. I call it pre-marketing if I'm planning on retargeting, just because, you know, you want to do that kind of thing. But most industries can deal with it. I mean, there's a company I'll talk about in a little bit when we get around to, you know, what we want to, you know, some of the, the brands or the, the platforms that you can use. Um, but most people are aware of their consumer facing front and e-commerce side of things, but they've got a very strong B2B uh, and including manufacturing side of retargeting available to them because they can tap into intent data, which is another thing we can talk about shortly. There's there's a lot of stuff that can be done with it. And, you know, in a lot of the cases, it's exactly as you described. Sometimes you just need to know the brand because we're targeting a very specific person. And then retargeting them based on the actions that they've taken either on your website or elsewhere on the internet. But I also feel like I've held the uh, the, the mic for a little too long. Uh, I don't want to jump into what other, everyone else has to say here. Uh, yeah, just so uh, I'll, I'll pass it on at the moment. Let's see if you have any further questions. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Ben, for that. So I'm actually going to move to Dave. Uh, so Dave, uh, I know you do a lot of work in the B2B services space. So in your experience, when you look at the retargeting versus remarketing, I don't know if you have anything to add there overall with respect to definition. Have you seen any stories where retargeting or remarketing wasn't as fit as you would have thought? Well, it's really important to think about the entire buyer's journey as okay. you're looking at retargeting and remarketing, of course. Yeah. And key inside of that, of course, is to have the right systems. So yeah. if you have a CRM, if you have an automation system that builds this in, your job for, you know, a lot of people think about retargeting and remarketing as driving towards a sale at every point. And yes, ultimately, that's the goal, but not always, especially in B2B, are you going to get people to make a huge purchase decision just by sending them a follow-up or by having it hooked back up? You know, a lot of times people think of remarketing and retargeting as, you know, okay, well, I Googled for lawnmowers, and then all of a sudden I'm on Popular Mechanics website, and that same lawnmower that I clicked on before is showing up again. 
Well, that's yep. great and that's good, but you can think of it almost as like a reminder that this was helpful to you at one point in time. And the goal of that follow through, which is the same as it was in the initial ad, the same as it was in the initial need identification, is a specific call to action. And so you're, you're advertising for something, you're promoting something, you're trying to get them to click. And then if they don't take that step, then you're going to a couple of days later, a couple of minutes later, a couple of weeks later, remind them that, hey, this is something that you might need. And it's especially different in B2B because you're talking about a much more sophisticated sale. And so instead, you're just trying to break it down into all of the component parts of that decision-making process. You know, how am I proving that I'm the right solution? And here are some of the reasons that this solution works for our clients, right? So giving them a retarget on here's what we've already done together. You know, Ben, I, I love the point on, you know, remarketing being if you've already worked with them in the past. Um, and in our case, it's probably just that they've responded to us, even if they haven't just bought from us. They have some sort of a idea of who you are. And so they're much more likely to open remarketing than they are retargeting, right? But the entire thing, you know, you need to have six or seven or depending on who you ask, 14 different touch points before people take a next step. And in B2B research, the current data is that 80 clicks happen before you ever contact or fill out a form in a B2B buying journey. So your goal is to reinsert yourself into those clicks, into that session, and get people just whatever that next step is in your buyer's journey. So your steps are lay out your entire buyer's journey and lay out ways to remind people with helpful and informative information you might also have heard of inbound marketing, right? The idea of being as helpful as possible. And that's what you're remarketing and you retards. Oh, I just had a question for Dave. You mentioned that 80 clicks. And does that vary by industry? Do you know? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure it does. Yeah. And I, I don't have specific data other than it's about 80 across the across the range. And that's Google data. You know, when when I go through my trainings with Google and all that stuff, they're like, yeah, it's about eight. That's so a lot more than I would have guessed. <laughs> it's well, and especially for considered purchases, right? If you're mm -hmm. if you're buying that lawnmower, you're not going to click on eighty unless you're super ADHD like me. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I want a red one. No, I want a green one. Uh, but if you're looking for something that you're about to spend six figures on, yeah. you're going to do the research. You're going to visit five or six different companies, and you're going to research deep on each of those five or six different companies. I wonder if there's a correlation between ticket price and uh, number of clicks. If you're buying a commercial lawnmower, yeah. it might be 60. If you're buying a dump truck with a plow for the county, yeah. it might be more like 200. Well, that, that actually brings up a really good point. You need to match the value of whatever you're offering in your promotion hmm. to whatever the end result is. So if you're just trying to get people to fill out a form, you can ask for a pretty low barrier contact context. So maybe it's a quiz, maybe it's a something else. If you're trying to get people to sign up for something huge, like fill out this personality assessment to let us figure out where you are, you're going to need to offer them the chance at win a car, right? So it needs to be big in order to get them to do heavy stuff. Yeah, so I completely agree with uh Dave, that the goal of sales in my mind, especially when you are going through a very expensive purchase in the B2B, you want to go as gentle as possible. Your goal is to stay on top of people's mind as opposed to trying to sell, even if you are trying to sell a case study. 
Okay, people don't think that, you know what, I am adding value. No, you are not. You are <laughs> overselling even if you're, if those are going to be case studies. So, so retargeting can really help in staying on top of people's mind because the only thing you are doing with retargeting is they have your logo set in their head that, you know what, if I need an ERP, I need to go to Sam. If I need HubSpot, I need to go to Dave. If I have e-commerce problem, I need to go to Chris. Or if I have WooCommerce, then I need to go to Steve. So that's the positioning that, that customers are looking for, and retargeting can really help with that. So, Steve, I'm actually going to move to you. In your experience, do you agree with the retargeting, remarketing? Uh, do you have any colors to add there? What do you think? I mean, does retargeting work in every single situation? How would you strategize around retargeting? So, first question, yes, I totally agree. Retargeting hasn't bought, remarketing have bought. And there's a great area that I absolutely love because it doesn't fit inside the box. And I'll tell a story about that. As far as color, uh, maybe hopefully I'm going to throw a Jackson Pollock on top of everything because that could be really fun. We'll see what happens. So here's an example. We have this idea. Retargeting is for people who haven't bought from us. And the simplest mechanism for retargeting that I think the lay person will understand is that I, I went to say musician's friend and I looked at a 2021 Fender basement amp. And of course, then everywhere I go on YouTube and everything, I start seeing the Fender basement. And, and we all have come to expect that. And the, so here's, here's where the, the retargeted remarketing, I think, gets mixed together for me in kind of an exciting way is, is I, I, um, th- there's an organization that had a program where they were trying to basically sell t-shirts. But what they did is they had a lost leader idea because they knew that all the people that wanted to buy these T-shirts were outdoor folks and a lot of preppers, you know, that that wanted to buy like a 30-day kit of food in case the apocalypse comes, right? And they knew that these people absolutely adored and loved windproof and weatherproof lighters and that they could get these things for 99 cents. Well, they basically were doing a marketing campaign, the pre-marketing campaign, to get people to – and it basically said free lighter. Right, three ninety nine shipping. Right, uh, and it was a great marketing idea because they knew that it cost them ninety nine cents to get it. It was take two bucks to get it to them in the mail. What they did is they did what everybody else does. They sent them to a, a form, and the form said put in your email address and your address and uh, maybe some other information. And and they were getting because it still was free for three ninety nine. They were getting like a twenty percent conversion rate. Somebody had the genius idea to say, hey. Why don't we just ask them for their email address first and nothing else? And everyone around the table was like, are you crazy? We need all this other stuff. And they said, look, don't worry about that. We'll ask for that on the next page. But if we lower the barrier of entry on this first page, then we actually will increase the number of people that we can remarket to, even though they haven't bought anything. And of course, everybody around the table is like, what do you mean remarket? Remarket is for people that haven't purchased. I said, well, let me put it to you this way. If we do this, I think we're going to at least double our conversion rate and we're going to get everybody's email address. All that, all those people, we're now going to be able to send them a, an email as if they bought from us. And that will have, you know, a, an auto responding feature taking into account other actions that they, and they ended up doing this and they, their conversion rate went from like 20% to 65% overnight because they lowered the entry and it gave them this entirely new level of remarketing that they could do via email. I'm not trying to put air quotes over here for people who hadn't bought. And then the other thing that was interesting is they saw without any other changes, and I don't remember what the percentage is, they saw an actual increase in total conversions when they did that. 
And the, the, the theory behind that was that once someone was committed by hitting the go button on giving their email address, the emotional barrier to giving more information and following through with the other request to purchase more went out. So, so there's a situation where regular marketing got turned into remarketing and had multiple effects on the business, and, and including outsized like millions of dollars in additional sales because they were able to remarket via email to a bunch of people who normally you'd only be retargeting via uh, Google ads or Facebook. So very interesting story. But I mean, I do have one follow-up comment there. I don't yeah. know if there's more to that story or I did not follow uh, the story. Uh, so you said that, you know what, I am going to lower the barrier for the entry and I'm simply going to ask for the email address. But if you have customers like Chris, they are never going to give you their email address. Okay, that's the highest barrier. <laughs> and I am not going to give you my email address either. So yeah. how come the email, what is going on here? Are people comfortable giving email address without really knowing why they are giving the email address? I'm, I'm not sure about the story. Well, the way, the way I would answer that is pe- people are comfortable giving some information and they're also more comfortable, and this is statistically proven, they're comfortable giving less information than they are giving more information at any one point in time. Yeah. But they're, they're willing to give more information as they gain trust. And so one answer to your question is that we already know that Sam and Chris aren't going to buy this lighter. They're not the target audience. Yeah. In fact, they're not even likely to click that ad. But let's say they do. Well, in a regular scenario where you have a bigger form, you're weeding out those people because you don't want to market to people that don't want your product, right? And and you're you're also accidentally weeding out people who do want your product that are going to require retargeting in order to get them back to that page again. Now by lowering the barrier to entry for that first action, what I think is you're still eliminating the people that aren't your customer, yep. but you're also eliminating eliminating the need to retarget those other people to get them back because they've already stayed because they proved themselves to be at least somewhat warm lead by being willing to even just put in their emails. So you, you could make the case that if you, if you could take those people and, and, and you can in such using actions in Google analytics and tagging them in, in, you know, in the back end, there's ways you can create audiences. You can say, I want to retarget all the people who came to this page but I want to remove all the people who gave us an email address. You might have just saved yourself $70,000 a month in remarketing, re, sorry, retargeting dollars. Maybe it's only 700, but it's not going to be insignificant as a percentage because you, you once again, you've, you've now identified people that are warm. You can now eliminate them from your retargeting campaigns and remarketing campaigns are far more effective anyway. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I do. Just wanted to tap into what Steve was talking about in terms of the lower barrier of entry. I know we've talked about this in events in the past. Well, first of all, Steve, that's a great example. Before I, I don't want to brush over what you just described. That's an amazing example, uh, and it's a use of what is called in internet marketing often a tripwire. And we've talked about the Benjamin Franklin principle, or the napkin principle, or the handshake. You know, we've called it a number of different things, but it's a it's a psychological effect. I think we call it the the principle of consistency. The general idea is people have a tendency to say, I've already done it. Let me be psychologically consistent and do it again. So there's a whole thing in tripwire and in internet marketing with tripwires. If someone will pay you a dollar, they're more likely to pay you $10. Similarly, if someone's giving you the email, they're more likely to give you then their phone number and their address. 
you know, those kinds of scenarios. So it is, a, to Steve's point, it's a proven psychological fact that people will move forward. I know we've talked about in the past, hand me a napkin, they're more likely to hand you a binder. You know, it's just, it's a compounding, it's just part of human nature. It doesn't matter the culture, the, the economic status, anything, people just do this. So to answer your question, why that works is uh, the, as Steve pointed out, a very small barrier of entry for most people, especially if it is put in your email here, get a free lighter. That's a very small barrier of entry for most people. Not people who get you know, sold to all the time, but uh, the, the typical consumer anyway. So just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, and I'm going to have just follow one follow-up comment on top of that before I move to Chris, and that is going to be, hey, if you're asking for these small things, uh, that is great. For example, let's say if you talk about the LinkedIn example, where if somebody asking for a little like or a comment, I'm more than happy to help anybody and everybody. But one day I got a request and they asked, you know what? I want you to just pay me a dollar and I am going to return that. Now I'm like, what? Okay, so you want my credit card information. I know that you are not, <laughs> but you want my credit card information. I'm not going to give you that. <laughs> okay, even, you know, if I trust you, if you are my friend, then, you know, you ask me to donate and then I can probably give you my credit card because then you are asking me to donate and there is a purpose. But if you're simply asking credit card information, I'm not comfortable with that. So there is a little caveat in terms of, you know, what you can ask versus what you cannot ask. If there is no sort of impact on me from the security perspective, then I am more than comfortable doing that versus something that is going to be slightly more financially suspicious, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Chris. To Dave's point, that's the, what is the value exchange? What are, what are you asking for in exchange for what you're giving? Yeah, and with the example of the lighter, it's extremely high value because the perceived value of this lighter is more like 9.95, right? So they're paying, they're like, oh, free, you know, free lighter, three bucks shipping, no problem. So people throw their credit card at, at things like that, the right people. All right, amazing. So Chris, I'm actually going to move to you, uh, you know, for your commentary in your space. You are in the big purchase space and retargeting, remarketing, both are going to be equally effective because you are selling warranties. Um, you know, when you have to sell your equipment, there's going to be a big retargeting effort because nobody's going to buy as soon as they visit the site. You know, it doesn't work that way. News. So what has been your experience? Do you see a lot of retargeting, remarketing in your space? Uh, the way customer are, customers are utilizing the dollars or do you not see as much? Yeah, great question. I'm not going to bring any psychology into this, but maybe you guys will add some or find some here. But <laughs> so I will say that probably what I can just add to what I've already heard is that most of the retargeting I see is to existing customers that have gone cold or something has changed. So we've talked a lot here about retargeting to new customers, and maybe we've even defined it as that. But retargeting, I do believe can also happen to customers who are maybe in my world, it's an, it's an equipment owner who owns an asset. They're using that asset, but maybe they haven't purchased from you in some time and you're going to retarget them to get them back. And uh, I have a great personal example, more on the B2C side. In fact, I wore this sweatshirt today because I was recently retargeted, okay? So I've been a Peloton customer for six years. I have a Peloton bike. I love my Peloton bike. I pay the subscription fee every month. And so you could say for sure, I'm a Peloton customer. I'm this existing customer. 
I haven't purchased an accessory from Peloton since I bought my new shoes for the bike last year during COVID. So it's been a while since I've been to their merchandise site to buy something. And about three weeks ago, they sent me uh, an email where they were, they knew first that I was cold, right? I haven't been to their merchandise area on their site in some time. And they basically, I, I went back to try to find the email today, but they basically were saying, we miss you, right? And because we miss you and we haven't seen you in a while, here's a 15% one use coupon, come check us out. Well, I have to say that, yes, I bought accessories, I bought the shoes, but I really hadn't looked at their merchandise in some time because in the past when I looked at it, they were still relatively a new company. They had a limited supply of some things. A lot of their things were sold out. It was pretty pricey as compared to me buying a sweatshirt from somebody else. So at the time, I'm like, yeah, this this really, this merchandise isn't necessarily for me. But with the 15% coupon, it did drive me back into the site. And sure enough, I realized they have like eight pages of selection of merchandise now. There were some things that I, I did enjoy. This happens to be one of them. So I ended up buying two sweatshirts with my 15% one use coupon. So uh, that's a great way. So as I think about how B2B companies, the types of companies that I work with, what could they retarget? Because they probably have a lot of existing customers, right, who are buying consumables and buying some, some things from them. Maybe they used to buy a repair contract or an exchange program, but that exchange program has ended. A warranty, I think, uh, Sam, you just mentioned that. Extending a warranty is a great way. So your piece of equipment goes out of warranty and some type of an extension program or an exchange program. Those are great ways to find new revenue streams from an existing customer base that might not be purchasing that from you. And that's where I think retargeting can get really exciting. And you already have your customer's information. So it's just what ideas can you come up with that uh, might be uh, missing as an opportunity with that particular customer and just re-engaging with them. So you know, my advice too, and I think Ben, you kind of mentioned this briefly that you have to be specific and strategic when you're retargeting. You know, um, Peloton obviously knows I'm a customer. They can see my activity and all my stats on all the rides I take daily and what I'm doing, but they knew that I wasn't over here. And I, I think that's interesting. So they know I know the brand. They know that I like the brand because I'm an avid rider, right? But they, they, they're saying, hey, you're not wearing any of our apparel. So uh, maybe we should market to her and retarget and, and she'll purchase some. So that was a really relevant experience for this topic that I thought I would share during this. Okay. And I can clearly see the excitement. You are a proud <laughs> retargetee. I don't know if that is a word or not, <laughs> but I can see you blushing. So retargeting does work if you do it, it for work. a purpose and if you do it right. Thank you That's so right. much for sharing that story. Eric, so I'm actually going to move to you next for your commentary. I don't know if you're going to have any stories uh, that sure. you might be able to share. What do you see in your market yeah. uh, with respect to retargeting the marketing? I, I think Chris is a Peloton foot soldier. Um, <laughs> the, I think I mean, I'm going to go sell for them next. That's <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the, I mean, the definitions are that they all make sense to me very well described and quite eloquent. I wanted to relate a little experience that I had, which is somewhat along the lines of 
what Chris had, although not as cool. There was a, uh, I, I spent a fair amount of time on outdoor sites, um, a climber. So I think this might've been on the American Elk Club site where there was an offer for a new brand in the outdoor industry. They were giving away, basically it was camping seat cushions. Like if you want to sit, uh, sit in a, not even a chair, but just a small cushion. One of the problems with being in the mountains is there's nowhere soft to sit. And I don't have a lot of padding. So I thought, oh, cool, free, free cushion. Uh, it was like five bucks shipping or something like that. And I know these things usually sell for 15 to $20. So I thought, I'll go with that. And, and so I did. And I cautiously, though, I did look at that form where they wanted all the information. <laughs> to your point, Steve, you go, wow, am I going to give them all this information? But I did. And it worked out fine. Uh, they did, I, and I received the, the little air mattress, which was exactly what they said it was. It was very nice, and I'm quite likely to buy from them again because I could see and feel the quality of the product. It was really super nice. And then they did send me a few follow-up emails, and I and I subsequently have bought another kind of high-end air mattress for uh, sleeping on snow, which is really nice. So that that's a little anecdote about that. It, it works, you know, and I don't buy a lot of stuff, so I'm a tough customer. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that, Eric. So uh, I guess the next segment is going to be really interesting, and we want to make sure that we are spending some time here. And Ben, I'm actually going to come to you, and this time I'm going to go really easy on you. Maybe I'll ask you, you know, six questions. <laughs> but we, we are looking at the different retargeting, and I don't know if you're going to have the next segment, so we want to make sure we are covering some of these things because they are super critical. Number one is going to be how many different methods are there as far as retargeting goes. And then obviously these strategies are going to be super important. And I know that there are specific platforms and tools that are available and are there for retargeting. So if you could talk about them and maybe their pros and cons, I'll help you remember those questions, but that's what I'm looking for. Appreciate that. So uh, in terms of types of retargeting, I mean, it, it, it kind of depends on how we're we're defining that. You know, you can look at it like website retargeting versus uh, email retargeting yeah. or remarketing. At the moment, I'm using the word interchangeably because now that we've established it, uh, it's going to work either way. You know, we've got website, we've got uh, email, we've got video. There's different platforms, so you could do search retargeting as well. So, you know, you only show your Google ads to people who've already been to your website. So again, it kind of depends on how we are defining this. Uh, there are a lot of platforms that are amazing at it. I, I've had very good experience using uh, an email targeting uh, or retargeting Klaviyo because you can do multiple segmentations within Klaviyo based on what someone has done. Actually, before I talk about that, let me jump back to something Dave said, which was uh, it's really important that you have your, if you're going to do this strategically, it's really important that you have your data lined up. If you have a CRM, you have uh, like a, a well-built backend on the website. Uh, generally speaking, it either works from a pixel on your website, uh, just like a little cookie that you end up with, or it ties into activity into your CRM. Uh, and the CRM, in theory, should be tying back to your e-com side of things. Uh, and again, it depends on what we're talking about. So with Klaviyo, I've had a lot of really good experience. Uh, I think Steve and I talked about a publishing company we worked with in the past. The That was going back to the great. So, you know, Steve really likes science fiction books and uh, Ben really likes romance books. What should we be showing Ben and what should we be showing Steve? I shouldn't be seeing the sci-fi. 
he shouldn't be seeing the romance, that kind of thing. So that's more on the remarketing side of things. But uh, I'm using that as a point to illustrate that it's really important to have your data structured. It, you can go as simple as did they come to website, show them ads again. But you're not going to get a whole lot out of that. It's better to say, did they come to website? And a company called AdRoll, uh, they're the biggest ones in the in the market that I've used personally. I've used them on the consumer side, and I've also used them on the uh, the B2B side. I'll be speaking a little bit more about the B2B element in just a second. But uh, it's really easy within that. They put the pixel on the website and they track. Great. Dave has been to five different pages on the website. We would call him an engaged visitor. So show him these ads. Chris has been to one page on the website. We can still retarget her, but it's probably going to be a different kind of thing. She's still more on the brand awareness side of things. So again, data is important. So you can strategically go about how you want to retarget, who you want to retarget to. Uh, similarly, in the B2B space, you can add roles, uh, B2B side of things is called uh, Roleworks. Uh, same company, similar technology. And they can tie into, for example, Salesforce, and you can look at a pipeline stage. Yeah. So anyone at this pipeline stage, show them these ads. To Chris's point, did they fall out? Have Is it 100%, meaning they've already closed, but it's been more than six months? Show them these ads. Have they come into the website, gone to, and again, this is going back to data, it can be anything. Have been to the website, three different pages, including, you know, slash learn about Ben, and are at 50% pipeline stage, and we have five different people in our CRM at that organization show this ad to them. It can be as strategic as that, or it can be, did they come to the website, show them an ad again. Um, and we've all been talking about very specific cases where we've all been retargeted. I've had the the cookware, Eric got the, the cushion, Chris got the, the apparel, all that is because they these companies have done a good job of figuring out what someone's actually looking at. When I did it, I did it, I spent a lot of time in the B2B space on at pipeline stage. And part of that was because I was actually uh Roleworks has the ability to also look at and target other people in a company. So if Dave has come to my website and he's at the 50% element of the pipeline stage, I can serve ads to other people in his company that might not have been to the website yet because it's important to get more people thinking about it. If I can get Sam to be talking to Dave about, you know, bensproduct.com, that reminds Dave. You get more people going on. Maybe I get three or four different people who've submitted speak to sales or some other activity that I want to figure it out. Then I call Dave and I'm like, look, Steve is on, Eric is on. Let's just get all three of us on or all four of you guys on, you know, whatever it is. And let's just figure out what we can do. Because now I'm selling to the marketing department, the sales department, the operations department, you know, whatever it is. It, it depends on what you're trying to sell and all that. But I just threw a whole bunch of information at you. And I don't really remember if I've actually answered your question or not. So. No, you did. Actually, you answered all of the questions. In fact, I'm going to have one follow-up question since you mentioned Clavio. And I have heard really good things about Clavio. Yeah. But then, obviously, Dave is probably going to have a lot of opinion about, you know, HubSpot. Clavio is used more in the email automation space, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. in your experience, let's say, if you were to describe the pros and cons uh, of Clavio, where you would be using and where you would not be using, because I know that it's also used for some sort of, you know, email automation. Is it for email automation or email targeting? So do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Uh, I used it uh, when I was using it uh, the most. Uh, most recently, I was using it for more on the email automation, but the automation was built off of decision trees that we had put together. So going back to the, the example of whether Steve gets the romance email, you know, to to Chris's um, 
example, you know, it's very likely that they use Clavio for part of that. It ties into the CRM, it ties into the e-commerce element. So they know Chris has done, you know, when you're, when you're building it out in Clavio, you'd say it's a lot of if thens. Yeah. If Sam has done this, then show him that. Or if Sam has not done this, show him that, depending on how you're building it up. So in Chris's case, it's probably if I'm making this up, but if owns specific bike and currently paying a monthly subscription fee, but has not been on the website apparel section in six months, send this email. And so once you build that out, you don't have to think about it much anymore. And then it becomes automated at any point. Anyone in the the in the uh, the list, the email list, who has fit those parameters that we've decided, they hit that six month mark, they're going to get that email. So that that's been my experience with Clavio. I'm sure it does significantly more than that, but that's what I've used it for quite successfully in the past. It's just a matter of setting up those decision trees. What do you want to serve to the person based on what parameters? And that's that's you know that's marketing in general. It, it just this gives you more data to work with so you can be more likely to be successful in whatever activity you're doing. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, man. So now, uh, you know, Dave, I'm actually going to move to you. Uh, and obviously, in my mind, when I think of HubSpot, I was thinking of, you know, this exact purpose, but Clavio is being used by a lot of, at least the consumer-centric organization, at least that's what I feel, because that is very well prevalent in the Shopify ecosystem. And obviously, the Shopify is very well positioned towards some of the B2C companies they don't uh, go in the B2B market. So from your perspective, I don't know if you're going to have any sort of perspective where HubSpot is going to be fit, where Clayview is going to be fit, any other tools, pros and cons, uh, and then you know different methods and strategies for retargeting that you see in your customer base. For sure. And yeah, I, I'm loving the the different topics and, and the things that we're pulling in because I, I don't do a ton of targeted advertising okay. to our clients. We mostly do um, inbounds and, and driving driving content through interest. And so this is really, really fun. So, you know, using Rollworks to drive things in would be incredibly effective for some of my clients and pulling that in and bringing them into what I like to call the choose your own adventure, right? So depending on what stage they are in their pipeline, I can then give them more of specific kinds of data. And what's really interesting, especially with tools like HubSpot, since they've brought out their new CMS or their website builder, I can build an entirely different website for customer X. So if I know that customer X has responded to one of my pipelines or is moving between pipelines and starting to bring on, he's in, she's in one of my specific groups, I can customize that to them and say, here's the thing that I know that you're looking for and cut out all of the extra stuff that would distract them from the extra options. And another thing that I wanted to back up into is one, one of the things that Ben talked about is explicitly was targeting other people in the organization. And there's fantastic tools for that inside of most good CRM and other systems. So Salesforce and HubSpot both have ABM, account-based marketing programs and tools, and that's a perfect use of ABM, right? So you identify, here are all of my target accounts, and then you start advertising to those targets as well to make sure that everybody in a specific role at a specific organization is seeing the same message. And by the way, then I'm also giving them either my custom landing page or my custom entire website, and it just all works together. So it's super, super fun. And the final thing that I wanted to bring up is as we're talking about these things, the key metric that we're looking for is some explicit action. So for most of us, it's a click. And 
what you see as far as the response rates from advertising to clicks, right? The click-through rate is if you see something that has a high impression rate and a low click rate, what you've identified is something that is probably an engaging topic, right? It's resonating, but it's not sparking something high enough that they're actually going to take the next action. What the problem is with that, or the the solution to that problem, is to tweak your content or come up with a more valuable engagement, right? So that's where your remarketing comes in. You can give them a sweeter deal down the road, right? So the box set of romance novels or whatever that might be, right? And then conversely, if you have something that doesn't get a ton of views but has an incredibly high click rate, then you found yourself a target market, right? So the people that respond to that very limited engagement, you know, I thought I was going to get 10,000 responses, but I only got a hundred clicks, but all, all hundred of those clicks, or let's, let's be realistic and say 80 of those clicks actually resulted in a sale. I want those people on my list and they're going to be hot customers for remarketing because I know that they're really bought into what I do. So using that data and starting to apply different ideas as to how to creatively use what the results are to make better decisions is where all this stuff comes in. So that, that's that's my my thing. You know, I, I use HubSpot for all this stuff and HubSpot does remarketing. It does advertising inside of it. And that's the only tool that I use right now. So this is why I'm so delighted to have Ben and the rest of the panel on because you guys teach me stuff all the time. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. And uh, now I'm actually going to move to Steve. And guys, if you have any time you have a compelling story, you PM me. I am actually going to give you mic because you know that I love story. So Steve actually PM'd me. Uh, and uh, Steve has a story. So obviously you are going to share the story. But what I am really interested in knowing is going to be if you have seen any sort of retargeting methods, any sort of strategies for retargeting, any tools that you have seen in the uh, for retargeting and their pros and cons after you are done with your story. Okay. Well, I think this story is going to be about strategy and it can be applied with all, all the tools that Ben listed. And this is a pure retargeting story. And so we were working with a client who they wanted to figure out, the question was, does retargeting work? So then the, the next question was, well, what's the measurement of whether it works or not? And they had run some campaigns for retargeting that went to their back to their website and they weren't especially of interest. It wasn't like they spent $10,000 and got a hundred thousand in sales. It was more like they spent 10 and got five, but there was still this question of, well, what other value are we getting out of this? So, so what we did, we, we suggested, look, you, let's do a test. We picked the state of Georgia because they actually had a pretty high density of shops per capita in Georgia. Don't know why. And we decided we're going to do a retargeting campaign to Georgia. So, so they went to their Georgia vendors, so this is a manufacturer, and they said, okay, we're, we want to do this retargeting campaign in your state. What are you worried about? Of course, the first thing they were worried about is, well, you're going to take sales. You're going to take people that are looking for your product, and you're going to take them and sell it on your website, and we're not going to make any money. And they said, okay, that's you know completely legitimate. But what if we could figure out a way to use this retargeting as a branding play so that we could get people to be aware of our product more often so that they maybe they would come in to your store. And then the question was, well, how are you going to do that? 
So what, what came out of a really interesting conversation, collaboration with their vendors was a concept that, yes, okay, we're going to, we're going to do a retargeting campaign. There's going to be two targets. One are going to be the people that actually come to our website that live in the state of Georgia. The second are going to be a mirror population. What do they call it? It's, it's a, a similar, a similar audience. I forget the name. Lookalike audience. Lookalike audience. We're going to target lookalike audience. So these people did not come to our website at all. So they have no vested interest in coming back to our website, but we know that they're very much into the same things, or at least Google or AdRoll or one of these companies is telling us these people have been identified as being similar, a lookalike audience to the one that we already have. And not only are, you know, we have to send them somewhere and Google won't let us send them to you. It has to come to us. So we're going to make, or rather, we're going to send them to our landing page where they can put in the zip code. And then they can, so that we're not really doing a try and sell. What we want to do is get them, what we want to do is saturate Georgia with our brand image to get people to come to your store. But we know they're going to click on our ad. So the first thing that, well, one of the things they did is, okay, we're going to send them to the store finder. Um, what we realized within like 24 hours is, hey, wait a second. When someone goes to the store finder, they type in the zip code. The URL up top says website.com forward slash store finder question mark and then has a, uh, I forget what the identifier is for a search. I actually think it's search equals and then the zip code. So we went and changed all the ads. I should back up. We also made the, the results page for a zip code lookup had the tracking code for a conversion, an action conversion in analytics that was then fed into an audience that was fed back to Google AdWords for the retargeting, right? So the any anyone who actually clicked on it, any, anyone who came to the website or looked like they were coming to the website would actually get retargeted. Anyone who actually came to the website would become a different type of audience, but also if they put in a zip code, they would be much warmer Right. But mostly we were just trying to track for the companies how many people put in a zip code versus bots. And we also one of the strategies was to do this in the summer months where there, there were no Black Friday sales. There were no other there were no other marketing things happening with these companies that could skew the results. Because what we wanted to find out is how many people would go into the store after seeing. And after 60 days, they you know, they found they had some sales on the website that the manufacturer had gotten some sales, but the retailers were reporting a 10 to 12% increase in sales of those products in their store because of this marketing saturation campaign. So that's a really great model of re recognizing that retargeting isn't a lot of, a lot of marketing people and think that retargeting is a bit of a black hole because they, they don't see the value in retargeting because they, like I said, sometimes they spend $10,000 and they get $1,000 in sales. They might not actually be measuring the other effects of people going into stores. And these are the same marketing people who will spend $110,000 to be on the back cover of Outside Magazine that you cannot measure, right? Because they think it's good for branding. So so that that's my final point. It's a strategy. You need to be thinking of retargeting as something similar to purchasing a magazine or ad or a TV ad in a location. And if you can figure out how to measure it in this little way that we did, that was just an experiment to see, to find out what the answer might be to, so we can make more decisions. So like Ben said, it's all about data and analytics. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Steve. So Chris, I'm actually going to come to you. Uh, so you know what I'm looking for, methods 
strategies, tools, and their pros and cons? Yeah, I, you know, the, the one thing we haven't talked about much here was is abandoned cart retargeting. Yeah. So um, maybe just a very uh, well-known strategy for those that have e-commerce, you know, those people that have looked at something, they've put it in their cart that typically tells you there's an interest or a need, one or the other. Um, and if they didn't uh, purchase it, you know, you can use email marketing for retargeting anything that was left in the cart. So that that's one that that's obvious. I have to say on the B2B side there, well, I do believe retargeting works. I don't think there's enough of it being done today. So there aren't a lot of strategies that I can report on that our customers are using. I know, you know, when we talk about utilizing data to ensure that we are targeting customers with specific strategies, um, something that Dave said earlier is true in our world too, that sometimes you'll have a customer come and they are always doing uh, this one thing that you want them to do. In our world, that could be that when a customer comes to an e-commerce site, every time they search for something, they buy it, okay? So you know that that something brings value to your customer base, and it must be at the right value point for them to make a decision. So now you can look at your customer base and say, who isn't searching and buying that thing? So you can look at the opposite behavior and say, hey, all the customers that search this thing, they end up buying it. So apparently people love this thing that we do. Maybe some people don't know we do that thing. So how can we reach, we can target them with this thing that everybody else loves. And that that's a great way that I've seen strategies on the B2B side to, to open the mind of additional products that could be sold. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. So Eric, I'm actually going to come to you and I am looking for if you have any comments around the methods, strategies, any tools that you have seen, pros and cons. I do, yeah. We've got a customer that sells to primarily uh, facilities managers and architects and planners. They sell commercial quality outdoor furniture, so benches, uh, planters, uh, things like that. And a lot of it can be uh, customized with special colors. They got some fancy designs, so it's pretty high end stuff. Um, they use a number of pieces to lure in and attract and manage their customers. They do some retargeting, but some of the other pieces are they have a quotation system because a lot of these people that they're dealing with are architects and they may want some pricing, some fixed pricing that's good for say four months to stick into a proposal may or may not turn into a sale depending upon if they get the project or they don't get the project. So that's, that's an easy one because that goes straight into their CRM. In this case, their CRM is HubSpot, but they also have, and they've found a lot of traffic from a chat system where they can talk directly to a sales rep and get some fine-grained information that they may be, may be looking for immediately. That also goes into HubSpot as, as a different form of contact. So those two streams can be tied into one person or organization on HubSpot, and then they can do their, and, and they do do their retargeting from that particular platform. Uh, another one of my customers, just briefly, is more in the B2B space, so that's much more higher value projects be, say, $5,000 to $75,000. They use SharpSpring, and it's much more of a high-touch kind of situation 
where they, you know, they, we get a lot of information. They will actually call and have meetings, even for these projects, because, well, you can't do that if you're selling track little lawnmowers or something, but <laughs> this is a higher value product. So I think my point is the tool that you use, whether it's Clavio or AdRoll or SharpSpring or HubSpot or whatever, to some extent might be determined by your market and what you want to do. Um, also, I don't know what these things cost, but I'm sure there's quite a variety of price points for these systems. So you could probably spend a whole lot of money for things you don't maybe don't. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Eric, for that. Ben, can I ask your closing advice? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually, that's a great point, Eric. And I think what I was thinking about for the closing advice is be intentional about what you're doing with anything in marketing, but figure out what result you're trying to get out of your retargeting before you just jump in and say you need it. Uh, but I do highly recommend looking into it because I think most businesses can benefit from it as long as they're intentional and strategic about it. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Ben. Uh, Dave, words of wisdom. Yeah, there's there's pounds and pounds of gold in simply asking again. So remarketing the idea of coming back in and adding a little bit value, a bit more value, maybe sweetening the pot a little bit by offering a little bit more to get them back in, whether it's branding, whether it's coming back for more, you need to ask more than once. And if you just go up and say, hey, you want something? And then you leave, well, you're not giving people the opportunity to work with so don't be afraid to ask again. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave. Uh, Steve, few words, not sentences. Just remember that retargeting isn't your brand presence against the consumer as well as your vendors. Love it. Thank you so much, Steve. Chris, a few words. Yeah, everybody moves to e-commerce to gain the efficiencies. So reallocate in your business processes where you've gained these efficiencies and use these strategies. This is why you move to e-commerce, so you could find new revenue streams and get more benefit from the internal work that you do. So it takes work, but these the gold, I like it from Dave, all gold. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. Eric, your closing advice, please. Yeah, just real briefly, we've talked in the past about what conversions are. So be sure that what what exactly you want to convert, if it's brand awareness or contacting a sales rep or, or an actual purchase or maybe a quotation. So those are all things to track and retarget. All right, amazing. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you, Sam. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, everybody. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Eric Landman, head over to earthlinginteractive.com. It's E-A-R-T-H-L-I-N-G-I-N-T-E-R-A-C-T-I-V-E.com. If you want to learn more about Chris Harrington, head over to genalpha.com. It's G-E-N-A-L-P-H-A dot com. If you want to learn more about Steve Rice, head over to dotcomjungle.com. It's D-O-T-C-O-M-J-U-N-G-L-E dot com. If you want to learn more about Ben CRC, head over to govi.io. It's G-O-V-I dot I-O. If you want to learn more about Dave Meyer, head over to busyweb.com. It's B-I-Z-Z-Y web.com links and more information will also be available in the show notes if anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business you might want to check other related episodes including the interview with Daniel Engel Bretson who shares his insights into the demand generation strategies for new product development also the interview with Steve Rice who discusses why congruence is the most important factor to optimize product category architecture 
navigation, user experience, customer journeys, and campaign design. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.